how and why did David Kahn <laughs> well, get that the job? why being the bigger question. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at myself like I did not know who he was. And I and I said, what kind of a beat writer was I on the Indiana Pacers? <laughs> like David Kahn, what? You're ready to like, switch careers. So I'm calling people back in the Pacers front office. I'm saying, where was this guy? What am I missing? And I was getting all sorts of horror stories. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. Phil Mackey here, along with Danny Cunningham and Manny Hill from Score North, and John Krasinski from The Athletic. And gentlemen, we have gathered here today to do a full retrospective breakdown of what was simultaneously one of the most, sadly, noteworthy games in Timberwolves franchise history, (laughs) but also one of the most bizarro world games in Timberwolves franchise history, the Kevin Love 30 and 30 game. Look at this man. Somebody get on this guy. It's like the ball is gravitating to him. 18 rebounds. 16 points. Was it as bizarro world when it actually happened as it was rewatching it? No doubt. Yes. Well, I was were, there. You were now that was before they moved the media seats to the corner, right? Were you sitting courtside? No, I was in the corner okay. for that. Yep. So it was yeah, but it was it was literally the kind of game that totally sneaks up on you. You know, it was I think it was a Friday night and it was mm-hmm. uh you know, Knicks Wolves, nobody was really excited about it. It wasn't on TV locally. It wasn't on TV locally, which was the most amazing thing because especially during this time, like the the Timberwolves marketers and all they are trying whatever they can do to generate any kind of interest in this team and swinging and missing. And then they finally have this history making performance and nobody who wasn't at the game locally saw it. it. It was just like you should have seen the ashen faces on like the business side as they walked out the door being like, I cannot believe we missed this opportunity. So just, just to set the scene, cause it's been, it, this was November of 2010 mm-hmm. now, yeah. which doesn't like, okay, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but when you, and we're going to dive into every angle of this game and this, in this era of Timberwolves basketball. But when you watch the game itself, it feels like it was maybe from the late nineties or something. Um, but, when, if, if you don't even account for some of the crazy names and players on the court, like Darko Milicic and Sebastian Telfair were in the starting lineup for the Wolves in this game. Uh, uh, Kevin Love grabbed just a few facts from this game to set the scene. Kevin Love grabbed all 31 rebounds, almost, almost all 31 rebounds, between the second and third quarters. Right. So he went he went into, into halftime, I want to say with like, it was seven minutes to go in the second quarter he when scored. he scored. Yep. And he had he had three rebounds at that point in the game, um, and then he winds up with twenty seven rebounds with like ten minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So everything came in this in terms of rebounds in the second and third quarter. Uh, the Wolves were down by twenty points at one point in the third quarter. They win the game by double digits. So it was. I, I left that game early. Actually, I was. I was. At that game. I, I was there, uh, and I, it was like a Friday. It was a weekend. It was a Friday, it was a Friday night. night. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the Wolves games were nondescript. Yeah. It was just a terrible era of Wolves basketball. And and I remember thinking, oh, it's halftime. They're down by fourteen points or whatever. I'm like, 
There's nothing happening in this game. I'm going to go home. And I remember turning on the radio and hearing Alan Horton going bonkers on my car ride home. <laughs> what is happening right now? So what what stands out when you think about the game itself? And Johnny, you were there, yeah. and uh, and I know Manny's been watch, watching Wolves basketball. Danny, it's best because Danny's new to min- Minnesota here, so mm-hmm. you get to relive some of this stuff. Oh yeah. Let's start with Johnny and go around there. What stood out most in terms of the game itself? Well, yeah, I think it was one. It was literally one of those things where and and Kevin Love did this a lot in his career with the Wolves where you watch him and he's playing and he's playing and you're thinking yeah he has a pretty good game and then you look down at the box score and it's 22 and 22 like he just had this way of amassing stats in an like in an unspectacular way it was just workmanlike corner jumper by fields no good and a tip by Gallinari and Love's got another one 27 so team record a franchise record by Love. That's coming off the 24 against the Lakers. Al Jefferson held the previous record. And so that whole first half, it was they were not playing well. He was not particularly involved. Um, and you're just kind of like, eh, this is this is a lazy game. And then the third quarter comes, and it's he gets 15 rebounds in the third quarter alone. And all of a sudden, you look down at the box score sitting in front of you, uh, at the you know on my little media lectern and and you're like oh my god he has 22 rebounds and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my, oh my god he's got 27 rebounds and then then it was an immediate scramble like he's gonna get 30 rebounds like when is the last time that's happened love Stoudemire blocked him but he tipped it in he's got 31 rebounds and counting. And like the you know the the Timberwolves PR people are digging up all the stats and Charles it was since Charles Barkley in '96 and and all of these other things and you're and you're thinking, God this is unbelievable and and so not only while that is happening, and and you're you're headed toward history that way but the Wolves were clawing back into it and it was a 20 point lead and the Knicks just kind of stopped playing and Kevin Love didn't stop playing and and so then you know now he's starting to hit shots. And, you know, now all of a sudden this really sleepy Friday night crowd starts to realize what's happening. And they see, you know, on the box score, Kevin Love has 24 rebounds or something. So every time he grabs a rebound, he's getting an ovation. Yeah, the Timberwolves are having their way with the Knicks right now, and Love can tie it up. Does. This crowd in a frenzy now by the comeback by the T-Wolves. T-Wolves 10 of 27 in the third, but they got all those rebounds. And then, you know, they're they're cutting the lead to, to 10, to 8, to 6. He hits a jumper from the baseline to tie the game, and the place is starting to go bananas. And and so it just turned from, from this nondescript game that no one would ever talk about, you know, ever again to... Oh my gosh, like that was really, really fun and really, really cool. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of, of the crowd reaction is to hear how much louder they start getting for yeah. rebounds. Because exactly. every time someone gets a rebound in an NBA game, it's, it's a like, real yeah. nonchalant applause. But Kevin loves at like 25 and they start going nuts. I'm like, this is amazing <laughs> just seeing a crowd appreciate a guy getting a rebound. It was and obviously the game wasn't telecast here, so the broadcast was on MSG for the New York market, and Clyde Frazier does color for them. He did at that time and still does. And after the third quarter, they showed a graphic saying that he had 15 rebounds in the third quarter alone, right. and it was three away from the NBA all-time quarter record. And he's just like, I can't believe how many rebounds he's gotten. And it, it was incredible because 
everything happened in that second half, basically. Mm-hmm. He only had two rebounds in the first quarter. I think he had seven in the second and then that 15-rebound third quarter. I'm like, this is unbelievable. I can't can't imagine he just keeps keeps getting rebounds. And there felt like there were probably five or six more that he should have had. Like, he easily yeah. could have had a 35-rebound night. Yeah, and, and a lot of it came with he was it, the typical love stat petty in terms of he would miss a bunny, get it back, put it back. Mm-hmm. But like, and this was also in the very early days of Twitter, kind of like pretty early where you know, it was harder to get the word to spread quickly. But start, I started to sound on the tweet, love has 26 rebounds, love has 27 rebounds. And then like, it felt like people were watching on their phones as well in the arena. And they're like, oh, bleep, here we go. Like, this is pretty fun. I just remember Kevin Love just not getting off to a very good start in this yeah. game. And you're watching him. He's missing all of these shots in the first quarter. And you're knowing, you know, watching the game back now and seeing him, you know, get off to that slow start. And you're thinking, this is amazing how he could get off to this bad start and still end up with 31 points and 31 rebounds in a game. And, and another couple of things that stood out to me was Anthony Tolliver. Yes, was on the yeah. Timberwolves at the time. Yes, he was. And it, it stood out to me because there were three players on the Wolves that I noticed watching that game, three players on the Wolves at that time that had two different stints with the Wolves. Anthony Tolliver, Sebastian Telfair, and Corey Brewer. Yeah. All three of those guys had two different stints with the Wolves, and they were I all totally on the team I forgot the that Telfair had two stints mm-hmm. with the Timberwolves. Yeah, I think he had a stop. Danny, you probably would know this. He had a stop in Cleveland in between, right? He was part of those uh, really bad Cleveland teams for a little bit there. Yeah, he was in that, that non-LeBron era that happened in Cleveland. He was, he was there for a stretch, but it, he was the only starter that didn't score in this game. Like yeah. he he played thirty six minutes, almost thirty seven minutes, and did not yeah. score. I have a factoid about that. I did some digging on on that exact thing for mm-hmm. for a little bit later on in the show, and I, I'm excited. To, like I, my first thought was, how can that be possible? How can you be out there for thirty six minutes? It actually happens a little more often than than you'd think, but it happens in spurts. The thing that stood out the most to me was, I think, just the transformation of Kevin Love the last nine yeah. years. Yeah, so he, he was doughy. He looks like a different human, mm-hmm. right? So he, if if you go just if you're if you're near a mobile device or something, just Google Kevin Love thirty and thirty game and just look at what he looks like in that game compared to what he looks like now as this sort of he's like a male model, yeah, now, Banana right? Republic model. He did, yeah. he, in this game, he does not look like someone that Banana Republic no, no, wants designing exactly. suits. For. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this was yeah back then he was. He was the doughy everyman. Like that's what like Wolves fans really loved about him. Was he was just this kind of guy who, not chiseled, um, definitely a few extra pounds on him. Had this old man game, like he didn't play above the rim. You know, he he knocked down threes and he grabbed rebounds, but he was also at that point like super gregarious and. He was going out to street corners in in Uptown and handing out free Timberwolves stuff. He was really engaging with the public. And then, you know, you you get to the the David Kahn contract stuff, and he sort of turned into this sullen guy, um, which which was really a shame because that Kevin Love that had 31 points and 31 rebounds was just this happy go lucky. This is awesome, kind of a guy, and he, you know, his 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 Timberwolves regime or stay kind of ended poorly with just kind of re- retreating into himself as he was so unhappy with things. But yeah, I mean, he yeah, he was uh he was in- incredibly popular at that time just because he 
was fun to talk to and people could relate to this, you know, to this guy who was not doing anything spectacular besides whatever stats that he put up and um and it was it was a, as as much as they were losing it was kind of fun to watch him start to find his way uh, yeah, that way. Yeah, he that game was was a microcosm of of his time with the Timberwolves where you at the end of the game, I mean if you didn't if you weren't aware of the crowd noise and what was happening, you, you look at the box score and wonder Wait a second. How did he grab that many rebounds? Because it's when you think of great rebounders in previous or even current NBA, it's guys who sky right. It's guys who have who are just more athletic and grab grab the ball above the rim. Or like KG's rebounds were always he skied up above everybody and then clamped the ball with both hands. Right. He yeah. made you know he got the rebound. That's right. Yes. And Love would be like there'd be traffic under the rim and the ball would drop and all of a sudden like Love has the ball with one arm like a running back <laughs> and he goes back up and gets fouled and falls to the ground and the crowd like how did he get that rebound? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. He was so crafty and he was just so instinctual. He could read the ball coming off of the rim better than anyone. So he it, he he had so many rebounds that just fell into his lap because he was in the right place and he also was really savvy with he used those meat hooks and like he would you know sneakily grab his, his the guy right next to him and hold him down and then grab it with one arm. He would he had all the tricks in the trade that way. He had a he had a big ass at that time. He was using it to clear him out a little bit. Like it was never you know, it was never I'm leaping up over everyone and grabbing it in traffic. It's I'm going to you know, wedge my way into the crowd, elbow some guys out of the way, hold somebody down, and then it's going to fall right into my hand. It was, he, he, I mean, his instincts are second to none in that way. And this, I, I mean, I'm sure someone can find someone else, but it's hard for me to think of someone that just consistently found themselves in better defensive rebounding position mm-hmm. than Kevin Love did. Because, like you guys said, he wasn't the best athlete. I mean, he looked like a normal dude aside from being six foot ten. He just looked like a normal yep. American guy. But he was always in the right place at the right time, and that's why he got so many of these rebounds. And it's been like that his whole career. Obviously, he doesn't look the same now as he did back then. He's a, a little more Banana Republic than he was then. But he still finds himself in the right place at the right time almost all the time. And that's why his rebounding numbers are consistently towards the top of the league. And this this game, too, I think sort of symbolizes sort of his rise to being a star player in the NBA. Yeah. Because he made the All-Star team, All-Star team later that season. And it just it, it was it was sort of in some ways it was kind of his coming out party yeah. because you everybody you know he's on Sports Center and everybody's saying you know thirty one and thirty one and that point I think the rest of the league started to figure out that Kevin Love is like a really good player because here locally we could kind of see what he was doing but I think this game really helped him sort of get a little bit more awareness around the league that he's a legitimate star player in this league and he's going to be good for a long time. What did you guys make of of that version of Kevin Love? The one that, I mean, the, the numbers he put up during that era. So he led the league in rebounding that season. He went on to average 15 a 15, game, I think. Yeah, 15.2 rebounds per game that year. That was the year, too, where the double-doubles just came flowing and he it was double-double every single night. So he had a stretch where he averaged, this was, this was his third year in the NBA, where he averaged 20 points, 15 rebounds on 42% from three the next year. And he was an all-star both these, these two years, the next year he goes to 26 points, 13 and a half rebounds, a couple assists still shoots 37% from three. And then the knuckle pushups thing happens and he gets a year wiped out, but then he comes back and again, it's 18 points, 14 rebounds. It's, it's more three pointers. It's 40, 40% from three. And yet the team didn't win. The team never finished above 500. 
So he was putting up these historic numbers for a big man, and the front office is questioning him. They don't want to give him the five-year max. People around the league are questioning, are these hollow numbers, or is he just rebound hounding? What did you make of, of, of that version of Kevin Love? Well, look, I think at that time he was as good as any power forward in the league from a production standpoint, obviously. Um, there was always a question, and I think it's been proven, that he, he was not the number one guy on a on a championship contending team. You couldn't, you couldn't win a championship with Kevin Love being your number one. But uh, what he showed in Cleveland is that you can win with him being your two or your three, depending on you know the, what's going on in that game and, and the role that he can play. And so I think that you know, you know, he, he was penalized in the court of public opinion for, for, for them not winning. I mean, but you look at some of those teams that were around him, and yeah. they were not exactly loaded with talent. But he also wasn't the guy that was going to – raise the level of play of a lot of guys around him. He was going to get his, and he was going to wax whoever he played head-to-head, but uh, he needed more help. Like, that's what they hoped Beasley was going to be and never happened. That's what kind of they hoped that Rubio was going to be, and he got hurt, and and that in the, and that didn't transpire. So um, he, he's still an... He, I think he, he, at that time, and really even now, he's an all-star caliber talent. He's just not top five, top six guy that you want to say, okay, we got Kevin Love, now we're going to the Eastern Conference Finals, the Western Conference Finals type of guy. Yeah, because I think it was, what, his last year here when he averaged he averaged almost 27 points, and he finished, I think, in the top five in the MVP voting or mm-hmm. near it. And that was, okay, is, is this guy a top 10 player? Because that's what I was in Cleveland at the time, and that was the excitement. They're like, the Cavs are trading for a top 10 player to pair right. with LeBron and Kyrie. Like this team is going to win the championship, no questions asked. And I think in a non, if had they not gotten hurt that year, they might have. And even I think in a non Warriors era that we're in, Kevin Love probably could be the number two on a championship winning team. But because of what right. they've been able to do out in Golden State and just how good that team got, he was a number three and still won a title. And I think that he deserves credit for that. Yeah, he's a great player. Like there's no doubt about it. Um, and you know. When you say that he's like not a number one or like not top five in the league, well, that you know that's not a, any slight on him. I mean, he's just right. not LeBron, Anthony Davis, you know that kind of that and, kind of and realm. even then, since the twenty twelve finals, the best players on championship winning teams have been LeBron, Steph, Kawhi, and Kevin Durant. Like yeah. that's it. That's it. Yeah, it, it's, it's not really a, really hard. It's to, it's almost unfair to say well he can't be he can't be the best guy in a championship winning team because. Who can be? That's like, right. we're talking about maybe the greatest basketball player of all time, the greatest shooter of all time, a seven-footer that can get a bucket whenever he wants, and the guy that could do everything offensively and was the best perimeter defender in the league. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. though, that's the criteria. No doubt. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a very hard bar to climb. To I also climb wonder, too, when you look back at the David Kahn era. Yes, let's go you, into the David Kahn era, please. Well, it's <laughs> let's, just, let's dive into the, this. The totality of just... Bad trades, bad signings, bad draft picks. You just wonder if, you know, what this team, the direction this team would have gone in if better front office work had been done. And if Kevin Love would have ended up staying around longer because they're winning more, they're contending more, he's got better teammates around him, he doesn't want to get out of here, that sort of thing. And, and I mean... Obviously, everybody looks at, you know, drafting Johnny Flynn over Steph Curry, and that's the big one because of the the megastar that Steph Curry has become. But 
you go back to the next year, that in that year that he that Kevin Love has this great game, you take Wesley Johnson in the draft that year. Was it Boogie Cousins? Yep, I think right. that went yep, the pick after. Five, yep. Paul George goes six picks after that. I mean, you put one of those guys into this mix instead of Wesley Johnson, and who knows the the direction that this franchise yeah. goes. This, in fact, I just I'm just going to read the names of the players that played minutes for the Timberwolves in this game. It's it is peak David Kahn roster. Yeah. This this is so the starting lineup was Kevin Love, Michael Beasley, who by the way, so Mike, Michael Beasley. Went for 35 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, yeah. and 3 steals, and was the Energizer Bunny during this game. If you if you were plopped down to earth and you just watched this game and said, all right, who are the star players? Are there any star players in the league that are playing in this game? You'd say, well, Kevin Love, workmanlike, but the real star on the court is Michael Beasley. Yeah. And and Beasley had 42 the game before yeah. against the Kings. Mm-hmm. Still, like, it, the 35 yeah. wasn't even his season high. No, he, he scored 42 that was, two nights before. That was like the heart of the... Michael Beasley might be getting it, sort of, trend because it was 42 and 35, and then there's a few more games where he had 28 and 30, and, and, and you were like, this guy is putting it all together. Here he is, like, finally coming together and putting the problems behind him, and he's using all this talent. And then he really, really severely uh, sprained his ankle and went right into the crapper. Like, it was, yeah, but there, I, I, right at that, in that probably two-week period of Timberwolves history there was a an actual hope that Beasley and Love here it goes and and they're ready to happen and then it just you know bad luck and then of course you know bad everything I mean you, and not just we'll get into more of the players but also Kurt Rambis like that was yeah. a terrible oh. hire <laughs> that the, oh like, like, but there was I mean, a shot the MSG uh, production crew showed a shot of the bench and it was Kurt Rambis sitting right next to Bill Lambeer and yeah. being like okay and that that's, that, that says so much that assistant coaching staff was terrible as well I mean J.B. Bickerstaff was like a really young kind of player development guy assistant and was he it was Reggie by far Theus the, yeah the... Reggie, Theus, Reggie Theus Dave Wool and 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 JB was by far the most uh, or the the most skilled coach on that team and it wasn't even it wasn't even close it was a, a, just a brutal staff so the rest of the starting lineup for the Wolves so uh, Beasley in love and, and then you had Wes Johnson Sebastian Telfair Darko Milicic the starting center Oh, Off the Darko. bench, you had Man Corey Brewer. Uh, this, this, in fact, this is the first uh, benchmark. We're going to have a few benchmarks to sprinkle in throughout this episode. Benchmark number one, the, wow, I can't remember that guy existed <laughs> category. Sundiata Gaines played yeah. 11 minutes for the Timberwolves in this game and went 0 for 4 from the field with two turnovers. So Sundiata the, Gaines. The only reason I knew he existed is he hit a buzzer beater when he was with the, the Jazz, Jazz against the Cavs in Utah because Cleveland just had nightmares in that arena, and he was one of them. Yeah. That's the only reason I knew who he was because he came onto the floor. I'm like, oh, my God, he played for the Wolves? Yeah, for like, like it was one of those ten things. Day thing. yeah. It was like a 10-day thing. Amazing. Not a 10-day because it was too early, but, uh, yeah, I mean – I think they had some other injury, and I can't even remember who their other point guard was that got hurt. But um, uh, well, Johnny, Johnny Flynn. Flynn. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, uh, Johnny Flynn. The, a couple shots of Johnny Flynn mm-hmm. sitting behind the bench in in a suit, which is which is what his basketball card will be remembered <laughs> for. Uh, Anthony Tolliver, Costa Kufos, mm-hmm. Nikola Pekovic. This is a rookie, Nikola Pekovic, and yeah. then Lazar Hayward was wasn't he a second round pick at one point? Late, late first round. Yeah. First round. Yeah. First okay. round. Yep, and a space cadet like. I mean, Lazar, I loved him. He was a super nice guy, but, man, some of the things that he said and 
and some of his <laughs> philosophies on life were totally out there. Did he think totally the world, the earth there. was flat too? Did yeah, he it was, it was along those lines. It was along those lines. <laughs> like it was pretty amazing. How, okay, this is just like, this is the most rhetorical question of all time. But if you, knew, if you have inside information on this, Johnny, this would be a great place to share it. How did David Kahn get that job? How and why did David Kahn <laughs> well, get that job? The why being the bigger question. Yes. So, I mean, there, there, there's a whole, I mean, this could be its own show, but like uh, when they went into searching for a new GM uh, to, to run the show, they, uh, first of all, uh, Glenn Taylor was having some health issues at the time. And so he really empowered Rob Moore to kind of go through the search and, and conduct the search. Um, and Rob was not did not belong in that kind of a position of authority so that is on Glenn um first and foremost but um it you know there was you know, I was talking to people who did interview for the job at the time and there was a personality test that they had to take there was all of these hoops and things that they had to jump through. And like one of the guys who they must've scrapped that before the Tom Thibodeau hire. <laughs> yes. One of the guys who interviewed for the job, uh, or w- was brought up to do the interview for the job was Dennis Lindsay, who is now the GM of the jazz, who is a phenomenal GM. Um, and you know, Rob Moore asked him to take this personality test and he said, no, I'm not going to take this personality test. And he left. And so this was the kind of, process that was playing out and um david khan is was an opportunist and kind of i think could sense you know he be- desperately wanted to get back into the league in a in a in a decision making role he had been a you know on the in the front office with the indiana pacers um for a little while and had gotten buried there um because i'll tell you a quick backstory and side story. I covered the Indiana Pacers before I covered the Timberwolves, before I moved back for, to cover the Timberwolves um, in 2005. And I covered the Pacers for two years and, and really closely. And so um, now flash forward to when they're doing this search, David Kahn's name comes up and, you know, former Indiana Pacers GM and, and, um, and you know, it, the, the Wolves are quietly trying to put out while this is playing out, like, hey, he was Donnie Walsh's right-hand man. And I'm 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 looking at myself like I did not know who he was, and I and I said, what kind of a beat writer was I on the Indiana Pacers? <laughs> like David Kahn, what? You're ready to like, switch careers. So I'm calling people back in the Pacers front office. I'm saying, where was this guy? What am I missing? And I was getting all sorts of horror stories about you know you know trust me, you weren't missing anything because he was initially involved in decision making there. But then it was so clear that um, he was unliked and and just in over his head that they essentially put him on uh, constructing the Conseco Fieldhouse, the the new basketball arena there for the Pacers, to give him something to do to stay away from everything else that was going on there, stay out of the basketball operations. And then kind of, I feel like that's kind of what the Twins did with Bill Smith. Now, Bill Smith was not nearly as in the no. doghouse as David Kahn, but that's kind of what they did with Bill Smith. Like, oh, we're not going to let him go, but yeah. let's just like work on blueprints for Fort Myers. Exactly. Right? And so that arena, when the arena got finished, um, there was nothing else for David Kahn to do, and he kind of was just put in mothballs and like, hey, your you know, your desk is actually in storage room B. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> Go get your swing line like, stapler. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So – 
anyways, so so yeah, so I'm getting all this information about um, David Kahn, and meanwhile, like the the Timberwolves are, you know, we're having back channel conversations as we always do in these sorts of situations, and and I'm telling them like, hey guys, like I'm hearing some bad stuff, like that some reasons to be concerned about if this is the, the the way you go down the path that you go down and uh and i relayed those um i had talked to a few people in the in the d league which is now the g league because he was again being like putting himself off as this architect in for for a couple of franchises down there and he had outstanding lawsuits against him and um, and all these things, so I'm passing this all this information on, and it pa- it got passed on, but they literally couldn't find anyone else. And, and, and like so, Bill Simmons was like, the, like remember that? Was, like yeah, Bill he Simmons put in this, was, like hire me. Like yes. in retrospect, now that we look back ten years later, would you rather have had Bill Simmons <laughs> as your GM or David Kahn? Very important. Yeah, Bill Simmons is the. It's answer. a great point. But Bill yeah. Simmons just would have traded Kevin Love to Boston. But yeah, it, but that's how that's how it all played out. And so then, but Rob Moore and and David Kahn, David Kahn kind of you know charmed and 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 got his way in with with that. And I'll still like. The, I still remember the 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 opening the AP story for David Kahn is hired off of the opening press conference. That's supposed to be kind of all good feelings. That everyone's always optimistic. I had a um, D League, uh, not uh, a a business owner who worked with a D League team that David Kahn ran in Texas. Uh, quoted in the story saying, I wouldn't trust David Kahn as far as I could throw him. Wow! And then, wow. so that kind of just set up an ominous you know kind of beginning for where this thing could go and and that's that's yeah that's how it happened and Glenn Glenn was not really overseeing it at the time because he was dealing with some of his own issues and it it didn't work out well now what was the connection to Portland with David Kahn was he like a sports writer in Portland he was a sports that's writer how he knew Rick Adelman yeah right? he was a sports writer in Portland um kind of had like a Sid Hartman like notes column so it wasn't like he was a, you know, just like this flowery prose, or you know, or anything like that. He just he are you saying these... Sid Hartman doesn't have flowery prose? <laughs> not not necessarily. <laughs> Johnny Crudup and uh, Sid Hartman. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, he was a, no- a notes uh, columnist there, and he also had tried to get Portland an expansion baseball team. So okay. he was kind of involved in a few things there that didn't work out. But yeah, that's I think that is part of the connection that got him. Uh, connected with Rick Adelman. Yeah. Wow. What an era, man. I mean, that's just, like, there, there is, oh, there's yeah. a book to be written at some point, and I hope that you're the one to write it. <laughs> Maybe you're already done with yeah. it, and you're just yeah. playing your, your cards close to the mm-hmm. uh, the vest. Um, I have a I have a where are they now on David Kahn for you guys. And Johnny, you guys probably all know this, but for the audience, so this is from some random article I put. This, is, this news was announced about eight months ago. Former NBA uh Timberwolves president of operations, David Kahn, is the president of newly formed professional basketball team, Paris Basketball. (laughs) The team will compete in France's second-tier Pro B division next season. Kahn announced the move on July 12th in a press conference with the uh, Paris mayor, who gave her support to the project. His goal is to have the team competing in EuroLeague by 2020. So he's the owner and operator of a B-level team in Paris, France. That's quite a fall. From running an NBA team to owning a B level team in France, I'm I'm actually surprised that he's even there, allowed like, to be yeah, in basketball. I mean, he's tried. He has made many efforts to get back into the NBA. 
he has burned a lot of bridges. Um, mm. So yeah, this is this is obviously him trying anything impossible to stay in it. Mm. He did say in the article uh, he was quoted a few times in the article saying that he's made about fourteen or fifteen trips to Paris and he's really excited to just like immerse himself in mm. Paris. Can you imagine yeah. David Kahn? Is he just soloing fourteen <laughs> trips to Paris? Who knows? How is he paying for that? That's the question. <laughs> what do you guys think was the worst move he made in his time here? Well, Ooh. I mean, passing on Steph Curry twice yeah, has to top, be, right? Uh, but the fact that that might not – that you have to rack your brain because there were other moves. Mm-hmm. Um, you, could, you could argue once, once – because Ricky Rubio, it wasn't like – like Johnny Flynn was a disaster. Yeah. But Ricky Rubio was a good player. Mm-hmm. He, was a, he was When he was healthy, he was a good player. But, but not giving Kevin Love the five-year max because you're saving it for Ricky Rubio was right. another thing that essentially put a nail in his coffin and sent Kevin Love out of the franchise, and, and they had to hit the reset button again, and then they wind up getting Andrew Wiggins, and that's the era that they're still stuck in here. But I would say passing on a Hall of Fame and, and slash the greatest shooter of all time twice, it's tough to think of another move that's... Yeah, no, that, that will haunt him forever. There's no question about it. Yeah, For me... Yeah, I, I agree. Like it's that one, but I and I mentioned it earlier. You you take Wesley Johnson at number four in 2010 in the draft, and you got Boogie Cousins there at five. And you know Boogie really probably should have been the number one overall pick that year, but there were character concerns about him coming out of Kentucky, and that's why he that's why he fell. But you've got him sitting there. You got Paul George who went you know five six picks later and. To take Wesley Johnson, who was like the oldest player in this yeah. draft, mm-hmm. with very, very, very limited upside, it, it, it to, to me it was just it was it was it was bonkers to me that this guy comes in, takes this job, and says he's preaching about forward thinking and we're not trying to win right now and you know we're going to let this thing slow cook and and then you take. In your second draft, you take a, you take the oldest player in a draft because he's quote unquote the safest pick. Yeah, because you're worried about Boogie Cousins and you know all that stuff. That to me just inexplicable to me when you look at how good those two guys, Boogie and and now Paul George being an MVP candidate now. I mean, to 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 do that to me is just is just mind boggling. All right, Anthony Tolliver, now you were on your first stint with the Minnesota Timberwolves during the Kevin Love 30 and 30 game. You played in the game. When did you realize that 30 and 30 was a thing that was happening in front of you? You know, honestly, I don't think it was something that people were paying too too much attention to until, you know, he got above 25 and 25. Uh, You know, know, he had had plenty of 20 rebound games, plenty of obviously 20-point-plus games. So, you know, it wasn't really, you know, something we were – you know, paying too much close attention, but once he got above 25 and 25, I think that's when it became, wow, this could actually, he could maybe get to 30 and 30. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was something we were, like I said, we were aware of, but we don't, you know, we didn't, I don't remember us changing our game or, or doing anything differently, but maybe playing a little bit harder on defense so that we could maybe get an extra stop. And this all happened really before we really vaulted into the social media age that we're currently in. So whether there was a celebration or not in the locker room following the game, I don't think anyone really knows. What was it like after the game when the team was t- together in private? I mean, it was definitely uh, it, just a lot of fun. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a celebration because obviously we were still in the middle of the season and it was just, you know, we won the game and it was an individual feat. Um, but, 
We won to a game, right? Yeah. yeah okay. You were down sure. by like 20 points yeah, at one point. that's what I thought. I was making sure. I was like, wait a second. That was 2010. That was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> it was like one of 17 wins that season. Yeah, right? yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't too many of them. So that's. Uh, but you know, as far as as far as that goes, yeah, we we definitely gave him his props and uh, you know, kind of enjoyed the moment uh, because you know it was it was definitely one of the highs of the year. We were digging through. It's it's such an. When you look back at that roster, and it was maybe the Wolves were in a spot where let's take a shot on Michael Beasley, let's take a shot on Darko Milicic. Sebastian Telfair played was it thirty six minutes? Sebastian didn't yeah, he score, like, but passed eight assists. I mean, yeah. Michael Kevin Love wasn't even the leading scorer for the Wolves that night. It was Michael Beasley had thirty five, and Kevin Love had thirty one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was not just the Kevin Love show. Like Michael Beasley, and I think the game before I forget where you guys were, but Michael Beasley had forty plus points the two two nights before this one. It was wild. Yeah, there was a there was a two or three week stretch that year where Michael Beasley looked like man, this is this dude's going to score twenty five or thirty points a game, and this is this might be they might have caught onto something here mm-hmm. what, like, what was it like being on that team with all those guys who were trying to jockey for position not only on the team but just to maybe stay in the league it was uh definitely interesting um interesting locker room uh and actually not not gonna lie like you know, those guys are awesome people i mean all those guys and you know we, we we liked each other it wasn't like it was um a bunch of misfits that you know didn't like each other or got didn't get along everybody got along um it was just uh wasn't a great group of uh, of mixture of basketball players you know uh you know a lot of individual talent in, in on that team um just not very good camaraderie um on the court and um it just you know it showed in the fact that we didn't win very many games you know so uh, I know we battled with injuries and different stuff. I mean, that's but that's every team pretty much every year, right? So you can't really use that as, a, as an excuse. It's going to happen. So, um, but for us, it was more so, you know, a lot of guys, like you said, kind of trying to re- maybe as their second or third chance um, to to try and prove themselves. And I think it became a little bit too too selfish yeah. um, of a, of an environment, and everybody was trying to, you know, like you said, jockey for position. So it ended up. You know, taken away from the team aspect. Uh, by the way, uh, during the so we we watched the. I think it was only available with the Knicks feed because yeah, so it was the, not telecast. The broad it was the game was not broadcast in Minnesota. Like yeah. Fox Sports North just didn't have the game. I don't know what what the issue was, but it was only on the Madison Square Garden channel wow. in New York. So, so that's what we went back and rewatched. And I forget who was doing play by play, but well, Clyde Frazier, Frazier was, did color. He didn't get the he didn't get the memo that you had worked on your three point shot over the off season. Mm-hmm. It's like, like as you're pulling up for a, a, a three pointer from the left wing, I think he made a comment like. Oh, Anthony Tolliver, man, not much of a three-point shooter. There he goes. He, he, think, he thinks he's a three-point shooter now, huh? Right. Tolliver, not a good perimeter shooter. <laughs> On cue. <laughs> yeah, I had him. I knew he would do that. <laughs> but the Knicks would live with him making threes. And, yeah. and I think you went out, you shot like 40% from three that year. So, yeah. But like that one comment was hilarious. No, because now, no I remember that. Like, <laughs> really? I, I'm dead serious. I, I still remember. That's actually one of the... One of the uh, people who stick out in my mind, I always think about stuff like that. Like it's just funny. Like it, he obviously didn't do his homework. because uh, that's literally what I started doing at that, at that point in my career. I was shooting a lot of threes, and it's just funny. You know, I, I, I take it. I didn't take it as a slight. I just thought I was like, that's funny. He didn't. He didn't do his research. 
<laughs> and that wasn't the only thing that he kind of said that he might regret. Like he was also kind of talking crap on the Phil Jackson triangle system, and because that's kind of something that was going on here at the time. And then two years later, the Knicks hire Phil Jackson. Yeah, right. So it wasn't right. the only regrettable thing yeah. that he said that night on the broadcast. It was yeah, really funny. Yeah, it's you know, uh, it, it's he's. Uh, there's some interesting people around the league. Put it that way. I guess. Yeah. Where does okay? Where does that game rank in most memorable games you've been a part of, either pro or or otherwise? Um, definitely top five. Um, as far as just individual performances, um, it's it's up there. I've never really thought back and, and put them in order, but you know, a couple I can think of is it's actually funny because three of them involve the Wolves. So Derek, my, Derek Rose 50 in that? Derek Rose 50, yeah, for sure. Actually, four of those can involve the Wolves, so either on the Wolves or against the Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> so Derek Rose 50, um, Kevin Love 30-30, uh, Tony Parker 55 here. That's right. Yes. Wow. I was on that team against the Wolves, and I scored my career high 34 against the Wolves um, back in – Again, whenever I was with the Warriors, um, so that's that's probably my four top four memorable individual performances. Um, was that thirty four? Was that like a revenge game in your mind going in? Did you say I'm no? I'm, so I'm, that I'm was that was before I played for the Wolves. Okay, yeah. So that was that was actually probably a big reason why they signed me <laughs> 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 was because I played really well against them. And um, but yeah, um, yeah, those top. Probably my top four most memorable performances, and then maybe like another one in the top five. In the top five would be either uh, Carmelo's sixty-point game against us when I was with Charlotte, or LeBron's sixty-plus-point game against us when I was with Charlotte. So both those were they would probably tie because that's a little bit more personal. Yeah, Yeah, that's 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 quite a list. Both of those guys scored, you know, some of those points on me. Not a lot of them, but some of them. Uh, some other things from just going back to the game itself. Uh, the the Knicks broadcast team had some amazing, just like little things that. So, so one of the comments that Frazier made was about how uh, Phil Jackson assistants have never had success with the triangle. Essentially saying that, like Phil Jackson, when he hasn't, when him or his assistants haven't had Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, the triangle's a joke. Yeah, triangle has only worked for Phil Jackson. None of his coaches, <laughs> former coaches, have had success with the triangle. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. Well, and like two years later, the Knicks <laughs> give Phil Jackson was it ten million dollars a year <laughs> to be their to be their uh, operator. That was amazing. Um, that might have been my favorite one-liner that he yeah. had. He had a couple of really funny ones. Like he talked about how that game was too fast-paced for his liking. I'm like, oh, wait, ten years, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. Also, something that kind of stood out to me too was Anthony Randolph. Who yep. eventually played for the Wolves yep. was on this was on this Knicks team, and I noticed him out there. I was like, Anthony Randolph. Yeah, really. Wow. Okay. Yep. Huh. Yeah. yeah that, I still remember because right before that game, uh, Frank Isola, who I think everyone knows, um, was traveling with the Bix- Knicks at that time, and we were kind of sitting out uh, on the court pregame, and Anthony Randolph was shooting, and I. I remember saying to Frank, I'm like, oh, yeah, Anthony Randolph. I'm like, I'm surprised that he isn't doing a little more for you because there were so many people that just really liked his potential yeah. as this new age, do everything, kind of three, stretch four, whatever you want to call it. And Frank was the same. He's like, yeah, I know. He, 
he hasn't really panned out. They were really high on him, though, and it looked like he was going to fit in well. And that's the story of Andy Anthony Randolph's life here and there and everywhere else that he's gone. In his Knicks career, he played 17 games and averaged 2.1 yeah. points a game. Yeah, because he had before before he came to the Knicks, he was with the Warriors and had like a couple of really big games. Mm-hmm. And then when he came here, he had one or two that were 22, 23-point games. You're like, oh, okay, but... You know, those were just flashes in the pan. He was another example, too, of just how many guys that David Kahn would just take a flyer on. Yep. He just, David Kahn spent most of his time, aside from making bad draft picks and bad signings and everything, he always brought in just like these guys who were, who had potential or were drafted high, but they were sort of casted off by their previous teams. Michael Beasley, yep. very high draft pick. Darko Milicic mm-hmm. had been bouncing around the league. Anthony Randolph was another one of guys that were just had potential and people liked them coming out of college, but they never really panned out and they were just sort of cast offs. And David Kahn was sort of the king of taking a flyer on those type of guys. And I don't even mind that approach necessarily. If you're a team that's down in the, in the stands, just see if you can steal something, but that can't be like your main thing. Like basically they were taking him and saying, we need Michael Beasley to be, the Michael Beasley that everyone thought when he went right after Derrick Rose. Like, that's what we need. No, you, you hope that you have a core in place, and then you grab a, you take a flyer or two on some of these guys, and maybe they turn out, and great. And if not, okay, well, see you later. We'll stick with, you know, our Kevin Love and DeMarcus Cousins or whoever, you know, if you, it, Steph Curry, whoever you, who, whoever you draft. But, um, yeah, like, that was like a core tenant of his was like, I'm smarter than anyone else, so I will, We'll grab somebody for cheap, and then I, I'm going to be dubbed a genius when when he pans out, and it like just literally never did. And then he had if a you question the season of Darko, and yeah. then gave him a four year contract. Yeah, yeah, like, competing against no one else for an yeah. offer. Like Darko literally had no other offers. <laughs> and, and then if you question him in a press conference, he'll say, yeah. "Show of hands." Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, fun facts from the box score of this game. So we brought this up earlier, but Sebastian Telfair, 36 minutes, zero points mm-hmm. in this game. And uh, and Frazier at one point on the MSG broadcast said, you must have a lot of family watching this game. He looks a little tight out there. Like, no, <laughs> Telfair just can't score. Yeah, I know. Actually. Yeah. Um, and and I, I looked up on Basketball Reference, how many times in the last 30 years has a player played 36 minutes and not scored? And it actually happens more frequently. It's happened uh, four times in 2018, it did. Mm. Mm. Uh, it hasn't happened, or was it this year? It was either this year or or last year. It happened four times, but then it didn't happen four years uh, between. Who was the last player? Uh, Wilson Chandler twice, Dragan Bender, and Trevor Ariza a couple times. Okay. Jason Kidd did this a bunch of times. But still had career. double-doubles. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, he would have the, the 15 assists, 10 rebounds, and mm-hmm. would have three shots taken. <laughs> and, uh, and Shane Battier was a multi-time offender of this, where he would just be roaming around playing defense and standing in the corner. Yeah. And so if he went 0 for 4 from 3, he didn't score, but he played defense for 36 minutes, right? And the other uh, fun fact from the box score that I found... And if you guys have other ones, throw them out here. The Knicks played an eight-man rotation in this game. The Knicks only played it's eight Mike guys. Dantoni, man. They played. It's November twelfth of, mm-hmm. of it's the beginning of the season. And Mike, and Mike D'Antoni, which is a, a whole separate topic too, <laughs> the fact that his career at that point as the failed coach of the Knicks, who would have thought that he would have this renaissance in Houston and be basically one yeah. injury away from maybe winning the NBA Finals? But um, yeah, the Knicks played an eight-man rotation on. 
the second week of November in the regular season. Got to win the game at all costs, whatever it takes. <laughs> D'Antoni on the bench when they showed him, he just looked like he missed Phoenix so much. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I thought when I saw his face. He's like, man, I, I missed the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> I need me some Q Rich. Some uh, who else was on that? Well, he had Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, yeah, Stoudemire. Yeah. Yeah, they signed Amari that that summer mm-hmm. leading into the season, and, and then later that year they traded half their roster for Carmelo Anthony. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then how about, did you guys, anything else on the box score that stood out to you guys? Well, you know, we uh, kind of are you know, lamenting Wes Johnson, and rightfully so, but remember, like, like this was, I think, his box score, 15 points on 6 of 9 shooting, 3 yeah. blocks, 4 boards, like, that was what you hoped you could always get from Wes Johnson. He had a good, he had a good game. He, re- yeah. he looked good, his shot looked great, um, and, and I still remember watching him as a rookie, down in Mankato when they were scrimmaging, and and you, it just l- looked like he knew what he was doing in terms of the sh- the shot. I mean, form was nice, and you know he's this six seven guy. He looks the part yeah. so much, and and so when you when you look at that, you said, man, like that's that's your 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 formula here for success with this team. Beasley scoring a lot of points, mm-hmm. love doing the dirty work, and Wes Johnson just. Just filling in and hitting those open jumpers, blocking a few shots, and obviously, you know, it didn't work out. But still in the league, he still is. playing for New Orleans. Yes, I mean he. How? I, I think he's, he's not a good shooter. He's really. one of those guys that when you just look at him, you say that's a basketball player. Yeah. You say that he looks the part, but then when he gets out there, I mean, it just he, he's just not it. And so I think he keeps tricking people into it. Now, he's also a super good guy, so you know that he's not going to rock the boat. You can bring him in at a low salary and see what you can get for him. But, um, yeah, he just he's the ultimate eye test fool. Like, you look at... You look at him and you're thinking, man, he should be a heck of a lot better, and yeah. he just doesn't. Uh, Manny, you, you got the box score over there? Anything that stands yeah. out to you? Yeah, well, Costa Kufus uh, getting three minutes in this game <laughs> for the Wolves really kind of stand Because Costa was the guy that came over from Utah mm-hmm. for Al Jeff. I think it was... Costa and then what was it two like protected first round picks yeah. or something like that from mm-hmm. Utah for for Al Jefferson and you know Costa's bounced around the league a little bit and and he's I think if I'm not mistaken he's still Sacramento in the he's still in Sacramento yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so it it is kind of amazing when you look at some of these players I mean it was eight years you know eight some odd years ago but you look at some of these players that are still in the league you know hanging on. You know, you you look at Costa Kufus, you look at I mean Corey Brewer and and uh, you know Wesley Johnson as we just talked about too, and Beasley's bounced around a little bit, but he's he's still hanging around the league too. So I mean that's that's kind of what stood out to me is just looking up and down both of these rosters really, and and seeing guys in the league that are that are still in the league now, and then also being reminded of players that are not in the league anymore, but like like Landry Fields. I see Landry Fields like in the Knicks starting lineup. It's like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember Landry Fields. Mm-hmm. Those are two troubled franchises as yes. you look at who they were playing. <laughs> uh, last couple minutes here, one last benchmark for you guys: the man, how time flies things from this game that stood out to you. And, and the one, well, there's two I think that stand out to me: uh, just the the willingness to take twenty foot jump shots. Yeah, both teams, especially the Wolves. I mean, that just, still kind of exists here for the Wolves. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's true. But, like, just guys just pulling up. Sebastian Telfair just pulling up from 20 feet. That's not a play that should be run. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that stood out, I couldn't figure out watching the first five minutes of the game. Why does this – this isn't that long ago. This looks so different. And it wasn't the pace as much. I mean, the pace was different. 
it was the fact that nobody was wearing the Under Armour leggings. I thought about that too. Like they all just had shorts and legs. Yeah. I think and now everyone wears Under Armour leggings. I think Corey Brewer might have had leggings on, but he was the only one. Love had one sleeve on one of his knees. It, it looks like he just had an old man high he sock did. on. Yeah. That's what it looked yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't look like he had a sleeve. It looked like he had the old man high sock, which really fit him at the time. No doubt. Absolutely. No, that's that's a, Those are good points. I was just trying to think about that too. And um, I guess like I, I kind of go back to – how love has sort of changed, not only from you know his his physical appearance, but also sort of this uh, transformation in his personality. I like I still remember talking to him after the game, and you know he was this young, excitable guy. And he one of the quotes that was in my story that I wrote was he said, you know I just I I, I look at it and he's like I kind of impress myself. And he's like and and it wasn't like being uh like a you know, ego filled guy. He was like speaking. He's like, I'm just trying to be honest here. Like, I, I, you know, I, I look at that and I don't believe it. And so there was this sort of bright eyed, youthful excitement and optimism about him then that has changed. And, and he, I still really like him as a person. He's done a, a lot of great things for mental health awareness in the league and things. But he has so much changed and morphed into um, a kind of serious-minded, um, sometimes sullen, but just, you know, not kind of, not as open and gregarious. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's amazing to see how, how much a person can change in eight years. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just a big transformation. Yeah. And I think the, the, the sports world and just social media, it feels like it's hard to, it, it, you don't see many athletes who are on, you know, on a pedestal and who are being judged and critiqued at, at that level, you don't see them make it to their mid thirties, bright eyed still, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's always it wears you down. A, yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, yep. even LeBron to yeah. some extent, right? Sure. There's a cynicism or, you know, all that, that just comes with the reality of it. And I mean, that's the, that's the world, especially now with all of the attention that, that comes on there. I think we were still at 2010, still sort of kind of, coming into this era of social media and of just non-stop coverage and attention and and all of that stuff and yeah it can it can wear on you for sure yeah. uh, any any final thoughts uh it's not a wolves final thought but it was really cool to see what Raymond Felton looked like 50 pounds ago for the next <laughs> because he's put at least that much weight on since 2010 yes, he's just he's just out there the opposite YMCA, of Kevin Love yeah. yeah exactly i just i just look at the the box score um, and for both teams, when you, in terms of like how time has sort of flown by in the last eight years with the Knicks, and we kind of alluded to it earlier with the Knicks only playing eight guys, they had three guys that played more than 40 minutes in this game. And none of the three were Amari Stoudemire. Mm-hmm. It was Wilson Chandler, uh, Danilo Gallinari, and Raymond Felton. They That's all why he was so skinny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, and then the Wolves, Beasley and Love, both played uh, both played forty minutes in the game too. And that just you just don't in today's NBA, you know, unless Tom Thibodeau was coaching yeah, the team. You just you, you just say. you just you don't you don't see teams playing guys out there, you know, for 40 plus minutes a night anymore, unless it's, you know, unless it's an overtime game or unless it's, unless they're shorthanded and it's absolutely necessary for a guy to play. And also the other thing was three point shooting. Now for the Wolves, it was kind of a normal total that we've seen just in recent years. They were eight for 20 from three, but the Knicks were 11 for 29. Imagine like 
a Mike D'Antoni team only shooting 29 threes in a yeah. game now. Oh, I, I like, still remember. unfathomable now. D'Antoni will still tell these these stories when you when he's asked about it at Houston, about all these threes that they shoot. He's like, man, when we were in Phoenix, we shot 26 threes in a game. They looked at me like I was crazy. Like, <laughs> I, people said, what are you doing shooting all those threes? And now they're shooting 50 in a game. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's, that's just He doesn't I mean, amazing. the Warriors get the credit for taking that style of basketball and bringing it to a championship level. But Mike D'Antoni is really the first one to go all out with that style. No doubt. And I hope D- he gets paid off at some point. They the just, in Phoenix, they just couldn't figure out how to play defense. Yep. That was their problem because yeah. they were offensively what the Warriors were able to turn into before they got Kevin Durant. But the Warriors also played really good defense, mm-hmm. and that's why they won titles, and that's why the Suns didn't. Draymond Green. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the uh, that's the Kevin Love thirty and thirty game, and uh, just a couple of cheap plugs here. You can find all of John Krasinski's Timberwolves coverage at theathletic.com. Can people just go to theathletic.com slash wolves or Timberwolves slash Timberwolves, or you can just go to theathletic.com slash mn for Minnesota, and that'll get you all of your Wolves Wild Twins, all that stuff. Awesome. So. And then if you guys want more of Manny Hill and Danny Cunningham. Uh, we have all of our Timberwolves-centric shows and basketball-centric shows. Just score North Wolves anywhere you find your podcasts. Uh, that includes Raised by Wolves, Myron on Hoops, and more going forward. And I'm Phil Mackey from the Mackey and Jeb with Rami show and uh, other assorted things on Score North. If you enjoy these episodes of Minnesota Sports Rewind, you can help us spread the word by giving us a five-star rating wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it's Apple or Spotify, and giving us a positive review. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.